Welcome to Feathers in My Hair, an Emotionally Broken Psycho's Patreon exclusive. Join me for the ultimate Team Mom deep dive. This is more than just a recap show. I'll scour the internet to bring you all the best drama that MTV didn't air. From police reports to deleted tweets, I've got the details on all the fights, breakups, and arrests of our favorite MTV train wrecks. If you think the moms bring the drama on TV, just wait until you hear what really happened. I'm your host, Liz Bentley. Hello, everyone. Happy New Year. Long time no speak. Although, if you are a patron at the $5 level on our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash ebpsychos, then you will have heard me and Princess Jones Curtis discuss the mob wives last week. By the way, this bonus episode, I'm pretty sure was an hour and 45 minutes long. So <laughs> you're getting your money's worth with bonus episodes. I'd highly recommend coming and being a patron if you'd like to hear that. Anyway, hi, I've missed you. Things have changed wildly for me in the last two weeks. And by that, I mean the laptop that I told you guys I bought. When was that? At the end of November. It stopped working. Windows 10 fucked me over. I got the blue screen of death like 16 times in a row. It became completely unusable. And as a result, I returned that and got a MacBook Pro. (laughs) I have always been an anti-Mac computer person. Wow, nobody cares about this, but I want to talk about this because this has been my entire life for the last two weeks. So I've always been an anti-Mac computer person. I've never really liked Macs. I think they're overpriced. I love my iPhone, but yeah, did not care to have a Mac laptop at all. Just didn't care for it. Had no desire to do it. My dad got a MacBook Pro like a year ago, and I was really shocked by that. We had a Mac like back in the day, but we've always been a PC family since then. My brother works for a major... PC company that I guess I shouldn't say on air where he works. My sister-in-law works there too. Um, So we've always just been uh, Windows people. And I had a Dell laptop for the last three years I've had issues with. Since I got it, it would do this plugged in but not charging thing. It got sent back under warranty like twice. It's been an issue forever the whole time I've had the computer. And then I was obviously going to stick with Windows because I've never really liked Macs. In my opinion, they're very hard to use if you're not already a Mac OS user. But I got this laptop and it shit out on me within like a less than, well, it the blue screen of death happened for the first time within like two weeks of getting it. And then it didn't really happen again. So I just like pretended like it never happened. And then it started happening more and more often to the point where it happened. Like I said, I don't know how, honestly, probably 25 times in a row last Friday, and I decided, fuck it, I'm buying a Mac. I then on Saturday impulse bought, (laughs) this is crazy, a Mac Air, is that what they're called? A MacBook Air, like the older version, open box from Best Buy within like a second of looking at it doing no research and I was going to go pick it up in like at a Best Buy that was like 30 miles from my house because I was like manic and just so angry. And then luckily, I guess they didn't actually have it in store because they canceled my order. So I spent the next six-ish days obsessively researching what computer I should get. And I ended up getting a 13-inch 2018 
MacBook Pro. I went for a refurbished one. So it's it came out in July. It's under full warranty, but it's refurbished. So far, so good. I've had really bad luck with computers for the last couple, however many years. So this will probably break down too, but it's under warranty and then Apple Care Plus. So like, we'll see what happens. Everybody, please pray for me. I know this is a very boring story and nobody cares, but like, I don't think you guys understand how much obsessive research I've done all over this. MacBook has keyboard issues, so I have a keyboard cover over this, like... This has been my whole fucking life. My group chat is so sick of hearing about it, I'm sure. I was obsessively checking over and over again that Amazon would get my package with my laptop and, like, my old laptop and accept the return. It was, like, this whole big thing. So that's what my life has been for the last two weeks. And also in about three hours, my brother, sister-in-law, nephew will be here from Seattle And my mom has been obsessively cleaning and childproofing the house for the last week. It's been a nightmare. My brother and sister-in-law are going to stay in my bedroom. Both my parents live... I don't know if I've ever explained this. My dad and mom live in the same town-ish where we're from. It's just like a bunch of really... Not really small towns, but like a bunch of towns that are right next to each other. So they technically live in different towns, but they're only, you know, 15 minutes away from each other. So they feel like they're the same town. And my dad lives in a two-bedroom apartment, and my mom lives in a two-bedroom apartment. And usually when they come, they stay with my dad. But my dad's dog is sick. It's this whole thing. My dad has a bigger spare bedroom, so it's easier for them to stay there. But he's going to they're going to be staying here, so I have to go stay with my dad for four days. <laughs> Which is, it, it's a nightmare. But it will be great to see my family, and especially my little nephew, who's a little cutie pie. Can't wait to see him. He's very smart. Um, follow me on Instagram at... What's my Instagram name? Bentley Liz One. And I'm sure I'll be posting lots of stories and pictures of him. Anyway, now I've that I've been talking for six minutes about nothing to do with Teen Mom. How are you guys? Have you missed me? I know you missed me last week. Ay-yay-yay-yay. <laughs> what a great start we're off. To. What a great start we're off to today. How does this sound? I think I downloaded audacity i can't i can't deal with GarageBand yet i'm not at that level yet but i'm gonna get there one day anyway reunions i watched three episodes of teen mom last night and you guys know how i feel about that but you know what i will say i thought these reunions were pretty good is that crazy they weren't good don't get me wrong But I liked the new format. So for those of you that did not watch, which I hope is most of you that didn't, I would love if most of you don't watch the reunions and you just listen to this recap. I just told Jessie, who has been on this podcast a million times, who hasn't been on in a while, I have to get her back on, uh, not to watch and just listen to my recap. But the format they did this year was instead of doing like two girls and then two girls, you know, like episode one is two and then episode two is two of them. What they did was on episode one, they talked to all of the girls separately and then Tyler at the end too, because, you know, God forbid Kate gets a second shine. (laughs) And then on the second episode, they brought in the families and went through the families. And I thought that format kept the show moving a lot quicker. And I watched them back to back and was like, and I took notes, which always makes the episode feel 7,000 years long because I can't be on my phone and... Guys, watching Teen Mom when you can't be on your phone or your computer because you have to take notes is a fucking nightmare. (laughs) Like, giving this show full attention is nightmare-inducing, but 
things I do for my art. I kind of love calling this part podcast my art. If you guys are fans of the, the Bodega Boys, Jesus and Marrow, they call their podcast the art. And like, sometimes I say that this is my art and it makes me laugh because it's not art at all, but it is still content that I'm creating. And I'm not sure what the line between content and art is, even though I know this is not art. Oh boy, I'm off on a tangent. Anyway, so I watched the episodes back to back and then I watched Young and Pregnant Reunion, which I'm also going to talk about, but only briefly because nothing happened on it. I really fucked Young and Pregnant, guys. What is up with that? But the th- I just felt like it moved so much better. And I think because we quick jumped in between everybody, I was like, wow, this is going fast. I think what usually happens is I get very bored with the family segments always. <laughs> Like, we watch the individual segments and the family segments, and I'm like, oh, now we have to watch another girl? Okay. But something about doing it with the family segments in the second week so we could quickly move between the families of each different cast members, plus, now that it's five girls instead of four girls, we should be saying women, right? But it's just easier to say girls. I know, I know, it's an issue. I'm a... It's hard. It's really hard to not say girls and to say women instead. Why have we been trained to speak like that? Uh, welcome to Liz's Radical Feminist Podcast. <laughs> uh, we can't we can't get into that, guys. As I said in, I did a bonus episode on Vanderpump Rules and I like started to go off on a rad femme tangent. I self-edited myself because I just couldn't, I can't get into it here. It's just not the time or the place for it. But, <laughs> oh my God, I have on my Mac the fucking text messages coming up and I have to turn that off because it's too distracting. Okay, I think I fixed it. Anyway, oh right, I this isn't the place for like my ridiculous leftist radical feminist views, but I do realize it's an issue that I call the teen moms girls. I just want to acknowledge that, that I realize it's an issue, but I'm also going to acknowledge that I probably just am not going to correct it. I'm going to say girls for the rest of this episode and then maybe later tonight I'll I'll meditate on pray on how I can fix it. Anyway, where were we? I don't even know. Oh, I just felt like because they had five girls, because of the way the segments kind of moved from jump to jump to jump to jump, and we didn't have to spend a lot of time on people, I think that made the reunions much more enjoyable. My thoughts and feelings on Nessa being in the reunion still don't like it. I will say that I did... I did appreciate her during Cheyenne and Corey's segment because she apparently, like, already knows them. Um, I could believe that Cheyenne and Nessa could be friends. Uh, They had, like, a nice rapport going, and I liked that. I That's why, like, Nessa does after shows, not reunions. So I think she worked in, like, the lighter segments. But I saw on Reddit some people wondering why she wasn't on stage for Dakota and Macy's. And someone was speculating that (laughs) because of her stance on the NFL and, like, people kneeling, they were wondering if maybe Dakota, like, wouldn't film with her or she wouldn't film with Dakota. But then somebody who was at the reunion said that Dakota and Macy segments, Bristol. (laughs) See, we're all Team Dakota here. Um, Dakota and Bristol and Macy segments were just, like, earlier in the day. Vanessa simply didn't get there until later in the day, and that's why she wasn't in half of the segments. I didn't find her, like, as annoying in this reunion. I'm just not sure what her place is on the stage with Dr. True, and I think it would be cool if they switched out 
Nessa and Dr. Drew, I don't like them both on stage, really. I think I would like to see Nessa do, if we're just talking OG, I would like to see Nessa narrate, like, moderate Corey and Cheyenne segments as well as, I don't know. Is that bad that only Corey, she just, it's because, I know exactly why. Because Nessa doesn't fit in with Teen Mom, in my opinion. She just never really has, maybe on the after shows, but you guys know I don't watch those after shows. But she's never made a lot of sense. Like, she doesn't have any, she doesn't really seem to, she'll be like, girl, I I love you. Like, to the cast, I'm like, I don't think so. But when she laughed with Cheyenne and she's like, you know, I was there the night Ryder was conceived. That seemed believable to me. And I think this all goes back to the fact that Corey and Cheyenne feel like they're on a different show than the rest of the cast. And I think on their spinoff show, I would love to see Nessa as a character. (laughs) Nessa works with Corey and Cheyenne. I think the other girls are just like, they just don't make a ton of sense. And Dr. Drew has the long rapport with them. I think Cheyenne would be fine with Bristol, too. I mean, who would want to be with Bristol? But I think Cheyenne would also, or excuse me, that Nessa would also work with Bristol. I think the issue with her being on stage for the the OG girls is that we're just not used to her being on stage for them. But yeah, I think she really worked with Corey and Cheyenne. And on the spinoff show that I've plan for Corey and Cheyenne. I would love to see Nessa just like come in and like moderate some talks every once in a while. I think Nessa's, I think Nessa's funny. As I've said, like, I deeply respect Nessa's politics. Um, I've talked about this on the show, but if you're a new listener, Nessa dates Colin Kaepernick and has for a long time. And she is the person behind Colin Kaepernick's kneeling protest. She's the one that gave him the inspiration to protest. She is the one that uh, basically got him into political activism Her Instagram is great. She participates in great causes. She is, like, extremely active in her protesting and active in her activism. But she, she just, she works hard and I really respect her as a person. I think she is funny and endearing and kind, but just does not do well in Teen Mom. And I think that's how I'm feeling about Corey and Chan is that they just don't jive in with Teen Mom, um, I I don't know. I don't know. It. I just, I don't, I still just don't get Corey and Cheyenne on this show. And I don't get Nessa as like a full host on the reunions. What they should do is have Nessa do the, um, like the girls and the family segments. Because I think she interacts with them well on a superficial level. And then have Dr. Drew do the one-on-ones where he talks about all of their issues. I think that would work. But yeah, like I said... Just get Corey and Che on their own show. That's where we are. Okay, let's get into this reunion. We're gonna. I'm just gonna go in order. Let's start with Amber. Oh, and I'm not. When I say go in order, I mean like I'm just gonna talk about Amber all the way through, and then we'll talk about Macy all the way through, or whoever comes next. So Amber, girl, that was tough to watch. Amber is wild. Amber is not in a good place. Amber was angry. She was screaming. Um, I was really, really concerned watching Amber. So Amber starts that she doesn't feel like her truth is coming out. She hates talking about her past. She doesn't want to focus on her past. I'm like, I can relate to that and I can understand that. And I know it's very hard to live in the past. But at the same time, it's like, so don't be on this show. <sighs> Amber says that she's being cyberbullied online, which like... I mean, I guess. Like, 
Yeah, the girls do get cyberbullied. I agree with that. It's not that I don't think that they get bullied. It's not that. It's just like, you don't need to be on Instagram Live for three hours. You can turn off comments on all your photos. There is a way to like be online and interact with fans in a way that's like much more controlled. So on one hand, it's like, I do feel for them. But then on the other hand, it's like, you can limit your contact. Amber says she helps so many fans, but then the mean ones really get to her. And Dr. Drew asks, like, do you think maybe the reason that they're getting to you so much is because, you know, you're in such a bad place? And so they start talking about her depression. And first of all, I noticed that Dr. Drew called when Caitlin came to talk to Amber. He said, well, when Caitlin interviewed you, (laughs) which was a funny choice of words there. But... She said that, you know, she had gone from taking care of James amazingly, it was wonderful, to needing to give him to Andrew because she was going to kill herself or hurt him. And she isn't sure what happened because it never happened with Leah, but I'm, I thought she did have postpartum depression with Leah. I thought that was like a whole storyline, but I haven't watched OG early seasons in a long time. So, you know, I could be wrong there. She just said she felt like she was going to explode. And it was actually in California when she was, like, planning on killing herself. And she said she was going to hang herself, which is ultra concerning to me. Because as I've talked about on this show before, that having a prior suicide attempt is, like, such a red flag for a completed suicide. And the fact that she wanted to hang herself, which is how she tried to kill herself before, and that she had a plan, I... I don't know. I just see a really dark and sad and scary ending for them. It really, I'm, it worries me. It concerns me. Um, and Dr. Drew, like, kind of jumps right over that. The fact that she had, like, an entire plan to kill herself. But, I mean, what what's he going to do? Commit her? She says she's done with the show. And Dr. Drew is like, no, you shouldn't be done. The haters just upset you because you're so depressed. And then she starts screaming. Screaming Like, out of nowhere, she starts screaming. She's like, how long did they give Caitlyn off? And Drew's like, Drew, Dr. Drew sees an in here. Because you know there's nothing more than Dr. Drew like, loves and suggesting people go to treatment. <laughs> like, he loves suggesting people go to treatment. Which, like, that's good. We should all be going to treatment, probably. And he says... You know, she got a month because she went to treatment. Like, do you want to go to treatment? And she was like, no! She says, and I quote... I'm dealing with my shit at home with a nanny and a psychiatrist. Okay. You know we're going to have to, like, break that down a little bit. A nanny and a psychiatrist? What the fuck is she talking about? (sighs) And this is where Dr. Drew kills me, because why wouldn't you follow up on that and be like, what do you mean you're working on your issues with a nanny? I guess what she's trying to say is, like, she's not in a position where she can parent, so she is a nanny, which, like, if that's the case, good. I mean, let's be real. Do I think it's excessive that a person that has no job and her significant other has no job, that's not true, they work for Teen Mom, but does not have a traditional 9-to-5 job that's in any way demanding or takes them out of the home, that they have a nanny? Like, sure, I think that's a little excessive, Um, it's not, like, I'm all for people having hired help. (laughs) Both my parents were raised by nannies instead of their parents. Like, I had a nanny when I was a kid. Like, 
it's not that. It's that I think it's a little, like, I don't really understand what her and Andrew do all day because they don't have jobs outside of the home. They don't have, I think Andrew maybe writes, but, like, Amber doesn't have hobbies, doesn't exercise, doesn't go to the park. Like, I don't think she does anything, and I don't think Andrew really does anything. So I'm not too sure what they do with their time if there's a full-time nanny taking care of their child. But in this case, and by the way, this is not like a knock on stay-at-home moms having a nanny because like I know being a stay-at-home mom is very hard. You have to go to the grocery store. You have to like clean your house. Like you have a million shit that you have to do when you're a stay-at-home mom and having help really helps with that. But I think what confuses me a little is that there's two stay-at-home parents at home in this situation. And you would think between the two of them, they would be able to handle the baby. But if Amber's postpartum depression is such that she wants to harm her baby and Andrew, being a first-time dad, maybe just isn't equipped to deal with it, I'm all for this nanny. I think the nanny is probably very helpful to baby James. I think if they have an experienced child care professional in their home, excuse me, I just had a hiccup out of nowhere. I think that that is a really good thing. It's kind of like Janelle sending her, like, infants off to daycare. People give her a lot of shit for that, but I'm like, I think that's the best place for them to be. (laughs) You know, like, put them in a safe place. And I feel that way about the nanny, that somebody, like, safe and responsible and mature, here's hoping, is in their home helping them with their baby. But that's not a treatment for postpartum depression having a nanny. And as I said before on the show, it's wildly concerning to me that Amber does not seem to be in any sort of therapy, has essentially never been in therapy as far as we know, except for what she did in prison. Um, She says that she's working on her issues with her nanny, okay, and her psychiatrist. Now, Amber has borderline personality disorder. That cannot be solved through meds. Does she need a psychiatrist? Absolutely, because she also has been diagnosed with bipolar disorder and now postpartum depression disorder. I'm sure she needs to be on mood stabilizers or antidepressants or some concoction of medicine. I'm not anti-medicine at all. I'm very pro-medicine. But she needs to be in she needs to be in therapy. And in my opinion, Amber could greatly benefit from an intensive treatment away from home. I think I talked about this in the episode when Caitlin came. Amber needs DBT, which is the type of therapy that is basically the only thing that is shown to work for people with borderline personality disorder. Borderline personality disorder for many years was basically treated as un, not solvable, untreatable, that it was treatment resistant. And now there's this therapy called DBT. If you have borderline, you've never heard of this. I highly suggest you look into it. It's extremely effective. I think it's diabolical behavior treatment. It's kind of like CBT. It's extremely effective. It has showed to work wonders for people with borderline personality disorder, helps them manage everything. And it's kind of hard to find because you have to have a specialist in it. And you also have to go like for regular intervals. It's not like going to talk therapy once a week or once every other week. You have to, a lot of people, I know somebody who is doing it in an outpatient form, but was going to like five days a week for eight weeks, I think. Like she did an intensive DBT program, and it really, it changed her entire life. It was incredible to watch. But maybe it wasn't that long, but it was for, like, hours a day for weeks at a time. Multiple times a week. Um, It was basically, like, going to rehab, except that she was at home. She slept at home. So I think 
Amber could greatly benefit if she would go to an inpatient treatment that specialized in DBT for four to six weeks. She could get so much. Um, I understand it's hard to leave her child, but we see what happens when Amber doesn't get help. She just ignores her kids. And I have a feeling that she's not spending that much time with baby James anyway. I have a feeling that it's the nanny and Andrew that are mostly taking care of James. So it's like, go away now for four to six weeks and help yourself. Imagine how much Amber would benefit from, like, having to get out of bed at 7 a.m. every morning. Having to make her bed. Having to do, like, the assigned chores. Having to eat on a schedule. Having to... She has time to work out. She goes to DBT and other types of therapy all day. She interacts with people. She makes actual friends, like... Ugh, I think she just could just benefit so much, and it's so sad that she's so resistant to it. Amber starts screaming at Dr. Drew that she deserves to get more than a week off for her postpartum depression. And I think Dr. Drew is, like, really confused. <laughs> because he's like, wait, what? Like, what What do you mean you... Because I don't think anybody, like... At least Dr. Drew didn't know that she was requesting time off. I wonder if she was requesting time off. I wonder if Amber has an understanding that most people don't get time off to deal with depression. Like, you have to go on FMLA if you do that. And, like, you you know, you get fired from your job. Like, not saying that you should, but I think Amber just, like, has this idea that she should be able to call MTV and be like, I am dealing with postpartum depression, so I'm not going to film. And that's, like, not how it works. And that MTV would be more than willing to help her get the treatment. But I think Amber just doesn't want to film, but she doesn't want to get help. And I think that's, like, been Amber's thing forever, unfortunately. Um. Oh, Nessa's on stage during this and, like, is dead-ass silent. And this is what I mean. I don't think Nessa's, like, good at the heavier topics. That's probably why she works so well in Corey and Cheyenne segments. Ugh, I think I just figured something out. I think everybody had such heavy segments between Ryan and his addiction, Caitlin and Tyler and their shit, and Amber and her shit, and then Dakota and Bristol, who are like, I mean, close to murder-suicide, juries out on which one's going to be the murderer. I think Corey and Cheyenne, it's just like, do you love her? Do you not? Like, it's fun and light. So she'd probably also work on Teen Mom 2 with Brianna. With Kale, I do really like Nessa with Kale because I think Nessa calls Kale out on her shit a little bit. And I think Kale and Nessa, like, I think they have an understanding, like, more of a joking attitude. And Nessa can be like, what are you talking about? And Kale will, like, laugh where she gets angry with Dr. Drew about things. She doesn't get angry with Nessa about them. Um, Nessa and Leah works well, although I do think Lessa, ne, Drew and Leah do have a good rapport. Nessa and Chelsea, perfect, great, because it's light. I think that's been, that was the issue with this reunion and why it was so weird. Because it was very heavy. We had a heavy season of OG. And I think that Nessa just doesn't work in that heavy environment. Not because she's lacking for something, but because we're supposed to trust in Dr. Drew. Of course, we don't trust in Dr. Drew, but that's why he's there. He's She obviously, like, defers to him in these moments. She's not going to, like... When Amber's screaming about needing time off for her postpartum depression, like, that's not Nessa's lane, and she knows that. So, yeah, I think that's probably why she works so well with Corey and Cheyenne, and why she could work with a lot, a lot, not a lot, but, like, at least two or three of the OG girl, or the Teen Mom 2 girls. Oh, I'm ready for Teen Mom 2 to come back. Um. Okay, so Amber says she needs to quit the show. Nessa's like, 
no, we'll miss you. Won't we miss you guys? And the audience is like, no. (laughs) Okay, here's, I've talked a lot about who I would like to have like an unfiltered conversation with. And it's always like producers and cameramen. And I would actually love to get like Nessa's IRL, like unfiltered, off the record thoughts and feelings on the teen mom girls. Because I have a feel like, I wonder what it's like to sit up there as Amber's screaming about deserving time off work and you're Nessa and you're like, this is wild. (laughs) (sighs) Okay, so that's basically Amber's segment. Andrew then comes out. He tears up about being a dad. Guys, I just don't trust Andrew. I just don't trust them. The restraining orders, I just, I can't look past them. It's just too much for me. (sighs) (sighs) Um, Gary and Christina come out. I didn't realize, maybe I did, but Christina was four months pregnant when she realized she was, like, was having the eptopic pregnancy, which is, like, awful and sad. I I know that she had heard the heartbeat, but I don't think she realized, I realized she was in her second trimester. They didn't realize it until she was in LA, and then they saw the baby protruding out of her stomach, basically. They saw she had a lump in her stomach, and that was the baby growing, a four-month baby growing in her fallopian tube. Um, Thank God they got that in time. I mean, you can die from that. I know we've talked about it on here, but, like, she did lose the tube, but thank God it didn't rupture, because if that, oh, poor Christina. Oh, so awful. So, Amber and Christina briefly talk about Amber's miscarriage and... Amber said that she just wanted Christina to feel like she wasn't alone. I personally didn't have a problem at all with that scene when Amber brought up her miscarriage. I know a lot of people online were like, she just wants to take attention on herself or whatever bullshit they were saying. But like, I really didn't feel like that. I think Amber, with her issues, has some trouble comforting and relating to people. And I thought that she was just trying to like live her experiences and her truth with Christina and that was her way of relating to Christina and I think Christina understood that. So Michael Jackson is there. Nessa introduces him as Mike Jackson and starts to laugh which made me laugh. Um, He comes out they look so much alike. By the way I think Gary lost weight. He looked like he had lost I would bet Gary's lost like 50 pounds. He looked slimmer which great for him. Um, he, Gary comes out, or Mike Jackson comes out, and apparently Mike Jackson had known that Shirley was pregnant, but then, like, never heard anything back, so he just assumed it was Jody's. Um, when he talked to Shirley, they kind of agreed, like, it was just, the reason they failed to touch is because it was just, like, the time. If they had had cell phones, it probably would have been easier to keep in touch. And as soon as, like, the, the PI called Mike he, and, like, mentioned Carol, or her name is not Shirley, it's Carol, had mentioned Carol Shirley, like, he knew exactly what it was about, and he knew it had to be about the child that she had. Um, I know a lot of people really hate Carol and think that she really did wrong and should have just given him the name, and I, I don't know. I think that, I think that there's more to the story, and it's hard for me to come down on Carol I don't think she's necessarily a good person, but I'm not so convinced she's the villain in this story that a lot of people seem to make her out to be. Um, I think that it would be deeply embarrassing to have the fact that you slept around on TV 
like not by your choice. You know, like she wasn't just like, I'm going to be on Teen Mom and I'm going to put this out here. Like, I don't think she wanted this to be a storyline on the show. I wonder if maybe she would have been more forthcoming with information had it been a, had it not been a storyline on the show and had Gary done it privately. I wonder if it would have been different. I think that she had always, it seems like she had always been upfront about Jodie possibly not being the dad. I don't know. I, I just don't. I just don't like to come down on Carol so much here. Carol did step up and raise Leah for like two years while Gary and Amber were wild and out. I don't think she's a bad person. I think that she has some issues. And I don't think it's fair that we like call her a slut and an awful person and how dare she lie to her son. I'm not defending her actions. I think she did wrong and I think Gary had a legitimate right to know who his father was. Um, But I just, I don't think it's fair because we don't really know Carol. And we only see, like, what Gary and Christina say about her. And I just have this issue with, like, people that aren't really on the show being made villains. I just don't, I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's fair. And this is why I don't like Ryan not being on the show this season. And this is happening this season on Vanderpump Rules with Jax's mom. I just don't think it's fair when, like, non-public figures, essentially, and non-main characters on this show become villains. And, you know, she could come on and explain her story, but, like, she doesn't want to, and that's her right. And she shouldn't have to explain, like, the choices that she made as a single parent back in fucking 1982, or I guess Gary's my age, so, like, 1985, you know, for the whole world. Like, that's, if she doesn't want to do that, she should get to not do that and also not be a villain. I don't know. I just, I think that maybe this just shouldn't have been a storyline on the show. But whatever. It's it's Gary. Gary gets to tell his story, but I think Carol should also have a right to not tell her story. Um, Mike Jackson is there. He comes out to the reunion. He says that the first time meeting Gary, like, he just loved him. It was like, a son or father meeting a newborn baby and that he wants Gary to call him dad and he wants kids to call him granddad but he understands like he has to earn the love and the respect which I thought was good like I I don't know I got a good impression of Michael Jackson and I'm happy for Gary but I just don't care and I think I've been on the record all season about this that I just don't care about Gary and his biological father I think that Gary gets a lot more screen time than He would because Amber doesn't do anything and refuses to film a lot. And so we have to do things like Gary's biological father and it's just not that compelling to me. So yeah, that was this season. Gary's, I mean, Amber's coming back. What's she going to do? Get a job? No, of course not. All right, let's take a quick break and then go on to the next person. Who is next? I believe it is Macy. Okay, we can't start Macy's segment without talking about that fucking lipstick she was wearing. What the fuck was that? Guys, what was that? <laughs> that black lipstick was so bad. First of all, it just black lipstick is not, it's not for you, Mace. It's not for you. Just don't do it. Second of all, whatever for like lipstick she was using, that formula was so fucking bad. Like her, her lips were sticking together. It was so tried out. I can't believe halfway through they didn't have her wipe it off and just, like, change lipstick because it, it just looked so bad. It was cracked. Like, 
bad advertisement for that lipstick. It was, ugh, it was tough. It's tough to rock a black lipstick, and Macy does not have the coloring for it. <laughs> so they talk, they start talking about Ryan, of course, because what is there to talk about? Macy's whole reunion segment was about Ryan. They talked about nothing else, and it just, it upsets me that Ryan doesn't get a chance to weigh in on this. That's crazy. Mac was in New York, but it didn't film at the reunion. I don't understand whose idea that was. I think Mackenzie should have been able to come out and speak her truth. I doubt that she refused to. <laughs> I'm guessing Mackenzie didn't refuse to film. That wouldn't seem very Mackenzie-like. <laughs> Uh, so Macy says that you know she really loves Taylor they're doing really well and that at first it was really hard for her to be with Taylor because she just like didn't trust that like a guy could be as good as Taylor was and be good for her which I think is a relatable and identifiable feeling um she said that she was scared she was gonna lose her fight and Dr. Drew was like so you felt like you always had a fight and she was like yeah I did which yeah, I think a lot of people, especially if they have shitty relationships in their early 20s or their teens, and especially if they come from families that aren't so great, which I don't think Macy does, but just in general, that when they then feel like comforted and loved and appreciated, it can be very hard to accept. Uh, Dr. Drew says that he's always loved Ryan, which like we know, if you will remember... <laughs> In season one or season two, at a reunion, after Macy and McKen Macy and Ryan had broken up, so it must have been season one, right? They broke up in season one. They had even tried going to counseling, and Dr. Drew, like, tried to peer pressure them into getting back together, even though Ryan was, like, fucking terrible to her and such a bad dad and just, like, the worst. <laughs> oh, like, never forget that. And being horrified and being like, why is he trying to make them get back together? They were terrible. And that was, like, really the beginning of, like, Dr. Drew's really bad at Teen Mom. <laughs> um, so, apparently, like, the big turning point for Macy and Taylor and, like, understanding just how bad his addiction got was, of course, when Ryan threatened to shoot Taylor. I'm sorry. Like, I don't mean to laugh because it's serious. It's just so fucking insane. Like, he threatened to shoot Taylor. Like, that's crazy. It's just, it's just so insane. It's hard for me to, like, fully comprehend it. So, she says she's feeling really good and connected to Ryan now. Or, she's not. Bentley is. So, Dr. Drew asks how much Bentley knows, and Bentley's watching on the fucking green screen. So, she says he knows everything, which I think is okay. I don't know if... I mean, I get he... I think he did need to know that Ryan threatened Taylor in some way because he had to understand the restraining order. I mean, Bentley's 10. I think he's old enough to know this stuff and the seriousness of it. So Macy says that Bentley is like actually happy with Ryan now. He talks to Ryan a lot and Ryan's like present and there and that makes me happy. She says Bentley's just like a caregiver and wants to take care of people, which makes my heart melt a little. Ugh, I love them. So, Jen, Larry, and Macy, Jen, Larry, Macy, and Taylor are all on stage, and Jen says that the tension got really bad between them after Ryan's first rehab, and Dr. Drew keeps asking, like, particular questions on, like, what they did to get better, and, like, none of them have an answer, because I think the reality is, is, like, 
they didn't do anything to get better. They just, like, are people with a lot of history and genuine love for each other. So, like, they don't necessarily work through issues. They just, like, all right, I don't really feel like being mad at them anymore. They're, like, not mad at me. So, like, let's just move on from this for now. And then, like, they'll get into another fight again. Um, I think that is most likely how their relationship dynamic works. So when Dr. Drew is, like, poking and prodding for, like, well, how did you move on from this? He wants them to be, like, we sat down, we had a big talk, we went to therapy, we're working on boundaries. Like, but I don't think that's the reality. I think the reality is Macy's, like, all right, I'm not mad at Jen and Larry anymore and Ryan's back in treatment. So, like, it's all good. <laughs> and Jen and Larry are, like, great, we're back in. <sighs> Um, Macy says that, like, they all just, and she confirms it. She's like, we all cover up our feelings, and it could have been easier if we were just open and honest. Um, Jen and Macy talked, and they agreed that Bentley's number one, and that everybody had trust issues with Ryan. Jen says, like, the way that they move past this is that Ryan and Macy work their things out, but that Ryan needs to work to earn trust back with Macy, and I thought that was great. I'm really glad to hear Jen and Larry, uh, acknowledging that it's not, like, Macy's job to forgive Ryan and that it's Ryan's job to earn forgiveness. Uh, Taylor admits that he basically added fuel to the fire with the tweet and that he shouldn't have done that. You know, he says, like, Ryan is always going to be Bentley's dad. I want us to have a good relationship. I want us to be in a good place. And I thought it was good that, because he's right, like, he didn't need to get on Twitter and say that, but that still doesn't justify how Ryan behaved. But the reality is it's, like, being the bigger person and the better person, like, you're always going to come out on top at the end, you know? And getting on Twitter and tweeting about Mac and Ryan, like, didn't, they didn't win anything. Like, they got likes and Twitter responses, but really just, like, escalated everything so much further. And while that's not his fault, he's the victim in this situation. I think he probably realized, like, this was unnecessary and it didn't make me feel any better and it actually made me feel worse. It made the situation worse and I don't want to do this. And I think that that's a very relatable place to be in. I mean, how many people, like, that are listening to this have been in a situation where somebody that is in the wrong is talking shit about them, they ignore them, they ignore them, they ignore them, and then finally they can't ignore them anymore, so they respond. And it just escalates, it's just the situation like a million times worse and you're like I really just should have kept on ignoring them because then we wouldn't be in this shit show (laughs) so I hope Taylor learns from that I do um apparently they're gonna lift the restraining order once he gets out of treatment which I think is good I don't think there needs to be a restraining order as long as he's not threatening to shoot them again (laughs) I want to know if Ryan's gonna be on the show next season That's all I care about while watching this. They talk about how well Ryan's doing. I just think it's so shitty that he doesn't get to Skype in and say how he's doing for himself. Um, Mackenzie and Jagger are doing great, but it's hard. And that apparently it's their first anniversary of the day of filming. Except, like, I don't think it's really their first anniversary. Because wasn't their first wedding, like, over the summer? And then the second wedding, like, the courthouse wedding? I wonder if they count... I wonder which one they count as their anniversary. Because it was definitely the second wedding that was their, you know, their party. (laughs) That courthouse wedding. I mean, honestly, that is the wildest moment to ever be on Teen Mom, right? Like, Ryan nodding out while driving to their wedding. And then Jen hysterically crying (laughs) in in the parking lot. Oh, my God. I can't believe that happened. Fuck. 
That and the Janelle pulling the gun out are the two that I watched and, like, did not feel that the internet was overreacting in any way. And, in fact, like, it was actually worse to watch. <laughs> Which you guys know never happens on this show. If you're anything like me and you don't watch the show till later in the week and you read online about Team Mom... You read and you're like, oh, holy shit, I can't believe this thing happened. That's so bad. That's so bad. And then you watch it and you're like, wait, what? That wasn't bad. Who cares? But Ryan driving and nodding out was bad. That was really bad. (laughs) All right, let's move on to Bristol. I wrote down, I bet Republican Dr. Drew loves talking to Bristol. Bristol's like right up Dr. Drew's alley. Uh, Bristol did something to her face. I think she must have gotten some Botox right before filming, and it it doesn't look great. Drew basically is like, I need you to clarify your story of how you met Dakota. And she explains, they started dating. A month later, they were engaged. The night they got engaged is when they conceived Sailor. Then they planned a wedding. Quickly after that, they broke up. Then a couple months after Sailor was born, they get back together, get married, get pregnant with Atlee right away. Um... Drew says that she's very guarded and that Dakota's out there with all his runes, his wounds. And I did like Bristol actually was kind of likable in this scene. She said, I'm very uptight. I know I'm very uptight. People talk to me and they say, like, you should relax. And I can't relax. Um, She said that she's just hardened, that going through a teen pregnancy for the entire world to scene just, like, made her very hard and guarded. And I mean, it's sad. I think she very clearly is a result of her upbringing and her parents. And I think it's, you can kind of tell, like, her her younger siblings seem to be a lot, like, lighter and looser. And I don't think Bristol was afforded that. I think she went through a really shitty situation when her mom decided to run for vice president while she was pregnant as a teen. You know, I think that in a different world, she wouldn't have been a single teen mom and she definitely wouldn't have been a single teen mom for the world to judge and see and be a political tool. I can't imagine going through that. I kind of understand why she is the way she is, but it doesn't make her easy to watch on teen mom. But I appreciated that she at least like acknowledged it. Dr. Drew asks like if she realizes that she feels abandoned, Dakota feels abandoned, and they just trigger each other. I, I thought Drew was actually very insightful when it came to Dakota and Bristol, which is, you know, rare for him on this show, unfortunately. Uh, so Dakota comes out by himself. He looks like Kenny Powers with his long hair. Like, can we all agree on that? Uh, you can tell I'm betting money that Dakota and Bristol fucked that night. Like, Dakota was speaking very, very highly of Bristol. She was being nice to him. At one point, Dr. Drew says, I'm confused. And Dakota says, we're confused, too. Which, to me, implies that, like, they're still talking. Something's going on. I bet in Texas, when the kids are there, it's easier to kind of ignore each other and just talk about the kids. But I have a feeling that they had sex at the hotel that night. Like, I would bet money on it. As I've said, they've been posting really nice Instagrams about each other and... I don't know. I think that, as Dakota said herself, when they're together, Bristol, or Dakota talks about her. Wow, I always slip up their names. Why is that? Dakota's a girl's name and Bristol is a boy's name. I've said this a million times and I will believe this to my dying day. 
Bristol said herself that when Dakota and her are together, he is so flattering of her. He's so nice. He treats her like a queen. And the minute they break up, he, like, talks about her like she's trash. And I don't think they've moved on from that dynamic. So, Dakota is very sad to watch and listen to, in my opinion. You know, when he talks about letting all his guy, his team down, how they all died, it upsets me. He does say that he's not in any PTSD treatment, which on one hand seems concerning to me, but Dakota, I think, has been in and out of treatment for a long time. Bristol even talked about once when they were in the PTSD therapist together, so I think that he's probably just, like, not in treatment at this moment. Sometimes your PTSD is, like, too bad for treatment. Um, so I wonder if he's just, like, I don't know. I don't know. I hope he's not permanently not in treatment, but I think he's done treatment before. I know he's done treatment before. And we even saw him in D.C. Like, he flew to D.C. this season for treatment stuff at the uh, Henry Reed. So, like, I don't know. I thought that was, I thought Drew could have dug into that a little more, as always. So, Dakota says that he can't get Bristol to open up, which sounds right, and that he's just a farm kid from Kentucky who, like, fell into this life and, you know, he signed up to serve his country and now here he is, which I can imagine is very jarring. Um... Dakota says the only emotions he feels are sad and anger, and then he's just numb all the other time. (sighs) Dakota's not well enough for reality TV. We all can acknowledge that, right? Like, that it's very wrong for MTV to have him on. Like, it's not right. It's not right at all, in my opinion. It's concerning as hell, actually. So, Bristol comes out. Uh... Dakota said something about Bristol being very tough, and Bristol is surprised that he said that. Uh, They're flirting. Dakota's talking about how much she loves Bristol. She says that she likes and respects him. (laughs) I just got interrupted. My brother's plane is getting in an hour early. (sighs) So much drama and annoying. (sighs) Bristol says she just wants to co-parent. I don't know. They're gonna fuck. That's just, that's just the truth. Okay, so Cheyenne and Corey come out. We find out that, okay, she didn't know she was pregnant until she was nine weeks pregnant. She told the guy that she was seen and he wanted nothing to do with her and a baby. So she was like, okay. So I still have questions, but we have a little more answers. I want to know when Ryder was born and she put a father in the birth certificate. That's what I want to know. I want to know if that guy signed the birth certificate if she put him down, what, you know, I just, I want to know. I want to know these answers. So Cheyenne talks about the fact that it was like really hard to have a sick baby. They found out Corey was the dad during the genetic testing and that she was so depressed and angry and it was awful. And then Corey pulled her out of it, which is tough to hear. Um, Nessa asks if that's why she's attracted to Corey and Shy was like, yeah, I think so. She keeps saying they're not ready to be in a relationship. And Drew says, no, you're ready. But he's not ready. Corey comes out. <sighs> okay. First of all, Cheyenne seems like she's always on an edible. Has anybody else noticed that? Like, always on an edible. So, Dr. Drew 
asks Corey, like, are they hooking up? And Cheyenne's kind of nods her head, but then Corey's like, oh, you know, like, once in a blue moon, trying to downplay it. But apparently they told Nessa and Dr. Drew that they had hooked up the night before. Oh, I hate Corey so much. He's such a fuckboy. He's such an asshole. He's such an asshole. Um, Corey's like, well, if it's not broke, why fix it? We don't want to mess things up. And it's like, it, this is broke because Cheyenne's in love with you and waiting around for you. Corey says that he's not ready for a relationship. And Dr. Drew's like, well, if men commit themselves at the wrong time, it just doesn't go well. It's like, oh, shut up. Um, Cheyenne says that she's glad that he's honest with her about it, at least. And they talk a little about Ryder. Corey starts crying. That Ryder has changed him. And Nessa then asks Drew what it's going to happen when they both move on. And they're like, yeah, I mean, she's going to want to start a family with someone one day. Then we find out that Cheyenne wants more kids with Corey. (laughs) It's so sad. Cheyenne's so in love with Corey and he doesn't give a fuck about her. He does. He doesn't give a fuck about her. And I'm so over this, like, Corey is scared shit. First of all, Corey's a grown ass man. First, women are never given this excuse that they're scared in relationships. That's not a thing. Nobody ever says it. It's not real. But men are always like, I'm scared. I don't want to commit. I'm scared. That's not, ugh, it's so annoying. So, Corey says that he wants more kids with her, too. Like, how can you sit there and say that you want more kids with her, but then, then, they ask Cheyenne if she's in love with Corey and she basically says it but won't say it out loud and they ask Corey if he's in love with Cheyenne and she goes he says nope I'm not (laughs) like without a fucking hesitation so how can you in one breath say that you want to have more kids with Cheyenne and then the next breath said you're not in love with her he said that he knows he's not in love with her because he loves Ryder so much and he doesn't feel that way about her and he knows that he'll feel about that way about his wife Oh, that was like the toughest thing to hear on this reunion. That made me like clench up. It was so sad. It's so fucked up to say. Oh, and when they were asking Cheyenne if she loved him, he was like all up on, like snuggling up on her. Like, are you? Are you? Like, he's playing such a character. I really don't like him. I don't think they're good co-parents. I think that he's using her. I just don't like it. So, Cheyenne's crying when Corey says, like, no, I don't want to be with her. (laughs) And he's like, she's like, he's like, why are you crying? You date other people. And she's like, well, where are they? And he's like, well, you're not waiting for me. And she's like, yeah, I am. (sighs) So sad. So fucked up. So sad and fucked up. I felt really bad for Cheyenne. <laughs> Stop sleeping with him, Cheyenne. Stop it. Stop it. Don't. She's going to regret it so much. What I want for Cheyenne is to meet a nice guy and fall in love with him who wants to be there for her and Ryder and have a family together and isn't phased at all by Corey. That's what I hope for Cheyenne. That's what I hope she gets out of this. Okay, and finally, we're going to go on to Kate. So, Dr. Drew says Kate's doing better, and Kate said she's doing, but at the cost of what things, which I thought was a weird answer. Um, We find out that they weren't using protection when they got pregnant with Nova, or with the new baby. What's her name? Tesley? 
even though everybody online is convinced that Caitlyn tricked Tyler into having a baby and she lied to him about being on birth control and the million and one theories of how she trapped poor Tyler into giving her a baby. Surprise, surprise, she wasn't on birth control and they didn't use condoms when she got pregnant. Um, Dr. Drew asks her specifically about her childhood trauma, but she's still pretty vague about it and leaves out a lot of stuff because she's like, well, you know, my dad left me so I was abandoned and, you know, like my mom's alcoholism. How about, like, being beat as a child by her mom's boyfriends and probably her mom? Like, I think that Kate just does not want to share her childhood trauma with MTV, and I guess that's fine. So, they kind of just, like, go over how she felt when Tyler asked for the separation, but I think we all know because they talked about it on TV, right? Like, we don't... I don't know. She's like, I'm trying. I was anxious. Nothing really new came up when... Caitlin was talking. So Tyler comes out and he says that he wants his separation because he's just been like a robot since rehab and like when she was in rehab and that her coming home was really hard. He's, Tyler's like keyed up. Tyler's real keyed up and like on the defense. He says he knows he sounds insensitive but he's tired and Dr. Drew's like trying to be supportive like no you're not insensitive. He's like I know I sound it. He's very combative with Dr. Drew. Um Kate has apparently asked him multiple times if the goal is a divorce, and he still says no. Dr. Drew has always wondered if they've had more of a sibling relationship, which, like, one, LOL, two, yeah, I think we all see that. I would have used the word roommates instead of siblings because they still have sex, Um, but yeah, I think that's clearly what's going on, and... Kate, he was like, well, do you still have, like, romantic love for each other? And they're both like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I don't know, it's not very convincing to me. Dr. Drew says most separations end in divorce, and Tyler seems surprised by this, which, (laughs) yeah. Why people separate because they, like, don't want to be together anymore. Like, people don't just separate to separate. Like, of course, most separations end in divorce. Like, sure, there can be some that don't, but, of course, most separations will always end in divorce. So, Tyler is, he's just like, I still want to be together, but, you know, I just need my me time. I need to figure out myself. And he's like, who am I if I'm not Kate's husband and a father? And Dr. Drew's like, well, you are those things, which I thought was good that somebody pointed out to him. Because he's like, no, 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 no. I know. (laughs) Tyler, the smartest person in the room at all times. Um, The family comes out. It's Butch and Kim. And Butch has been sober for over a year. Oh, Tyler says that he still doesn't think it's the best time to have a baby, but it's happening. And, I mean, yeah. What else is he supposed to say, you know? Like, it's not a good time to have the baby, but it's happening. I think, I don't think that's a bad thing to say. I think that's all that could be said. So, uh, Butch said the last treatment he went to was very intense and... He made his amends by the book, and if you guys are wondering what that means, as I explained in an episode, it means that he, like, used the big book and made his amends, like, exactly how he was supposed to and how his sponsor told him he was supposed to. Uh, Kim says that he's seen, she's seen a change in Butch, and the biggest thing was that she was able to help Amber. So Amber comes out on stage, explains that her rock bottom was after blackout and something about wasn't sure where her kids were. I was a little, I zoned out for a second on that, I'll be honest. She went to treatment for three months and then sober living for three months, and now she's about to celebrate seven months clean. 
uh, Dr. Drew was like, well, Tyler, you said that she wasn't a real addict, but you were wrong. (laughs) And Tyler's like, yeah, I was. And Tyler says that he does now know that she was an addict. And Amber says that even though he's her little brother, she looks up to him as a father figure. So Nessa asks Amber about the house and she says, to be honest, I just didn't really care about it. She does say that her children weren't living in filth. There wasn't garbage around, but admits that she broke the window and that it wasn't, she wasn't taking care of a house. So (laughs) I'm not sure what she means by like, they weren't living in filth because it seems like they were living in filth. Um, she says for a long time, like her son, she would say, I love you to him. And he wouldn't say I love her back, but now they have a good relationship. I wonder if she's still in Texas. If the dad still has the kids, we didn't really get an update on that. Um, Drew asks Tyler if he's done being the caretaker and Tyler's like, everyone else is allowed to be sick and I'm not allowed to be sick. And first of all, it's like, does Tyler forget that he has bipolar disorder that he's unmedicated for? Because like, he is sick. Tyler, you sick. And Drew's like, hold on, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you're codependent. And Tyler's like, I get called insensitive and I'm the, like, going a mile a minute. Drew's like, that's not what I was saying at all. That's not what he was implying. And Drew tells Tyler, like, he has to stop taking care of everybody and he gets angry and he's like, that's what I'm doing. Whew, yikes. It was kind of concerning, like, how quickly Tyler switched into rage for me. Um, Kim says that she feels a lot of relief around Amber and just like Butch and Butch says like there, but for the grace of God, I am sober. So yeah, that's it for Teen Mom OG reunion. Feeling great about that. I'm going to quickly go over the Teen Mom, teen mom Young and Pregnant reunion. Sorry guys, I have to speed through this little because like I said, my afternoon just got pushed up an hour unexpectedly <laughs> and I still have to change sheets, take a shower, go to Target. <laughs> I got to run through this. Okay, so... We got a super short reunion. They did all five girls in one segment. Most of the girls didn't even get their own segment. They had to come out with their significant others and their family for the whole time. Lexi was on stage for literally two and a half minutes. Ashley is very thin and looks very bad with blonde hair. Um, it This reunion was ha- hosted by Angela Simmons from Run's House fame, as well as a psychiatrist or psychologist licensed therapist named Dr. Joy. So... Ashley says that her and Barr are doing really well. She's getting therapy. He's getting therapy. They're getting therapy together. And I'm like, oh, that's great. And then I realize it's only been like a month and a half since filming stopped. And I'm like, oh, is it that great? <laughs> so apparently on the night of the fight, Barr left her house. He wasn't answering his phone. She called the person that he was with. And the person that he was with told her that he had been shot, <laughs> which is crazy. So she's flipping out. She thinks he's in the hospital or arrested. Then she finally finds him. He's wasted. So she goes home and he is there when she gets home. That's when they get into their fight. Uh, Ashley says she still has concerns because once a hitter, always a hitter. But that, you know, she's looking at herself and what she's willing to evaluate. And she doesn't necessarily blame Barb, but she says she would never get angry enough to put her hands on anybody Except, as I've said, we've, like, seen her attack bar on Instagram Live. So, like, I don't know. I still I still wonder how she, like, reconciles that in her head. Like, flipping out on Instagram Live and then getting on TV and, like, telling a different story. So, Barr comes out. He says he's doing okay. He's in therapy. He was drinking a lot. His life was in a really bad place. Dr. Dre asks him, like, 
okay, so what's it like to casually drink now? And he's like, oh, it's fine. I'm great. I'm in a good place. Therapy really helps. (laughs) And we find out that they're still engaged, but there's no rush to set a wedding date because they're practically married already. Oh, these two, these two. Um, We find out that Bar and Pastor T are not going to share a stage, which I found interesting because from the reunion, Bar had... My mom is taking my car to pick up my siblings at the airport and she just screened up. Do you have Easy Pass? Even though she knows I'm recording. Now the dog is barking. (laughs) All she had to do was look in my windshield to see if there was an Easy Pass. She also knows I take the turnpike to work every day. (sighs) Let's all meditate for a second. (laughs) (sighs) Honestly, living with my mom is great like 95% of the time. But the 5% it's not. I get very annoyed. Anyway, Pastor T comes out and she's wearing a crazy outfit and a crazy wig. I don't know. She looks crazy. I'm mad that Chris didn't come out. So Pastor T supports Ashley, but is surprised to hear that they're engaged still and just thinks that they're moving way too fast and thinks that they're like dumb kids making dumb decisions. She says, you know, they're 21-year-olds making 21-year-old decisions and She's like, well, once you pay your own bills, and Ashley's like, oh, I pay my own bills. But, like, Ashley also brags about how much her dad helps her, and as somebody whose dad helped her a lot, it's like, do you? (laughs) You know, do you? Um, Ashley says she handles her business, and T agrees. T seems to be in a very good mood. They're, like, on the same page uh, enough. T seems to not support Barr and Ashley being together, but understands that there's not much that she can do. Um, and she promises never to talk shit in front of Holly. And that's it. That's a wrap on Ashley for this season. So, Brie, Jessica, and Vanessa all come out on stage. They are, Brie says she's single, and Robert was supposed to Skype in with MTV, but then he blocked them, which I find funny. (laughs) It's probably, honestly, I support that decision, Robert. I think it was a good idea. There's, I don't think Robert has a lot to add to the conversation. Um... Bree says that, like, she feels really bad and she understands why he's so hurt and that he must be, basically, she says he must be humiliated because, you know, she dumped him on national TV and she's like, I can't even imagine how that feels. I think Bree has a lot of empathy, which is good. I'm glad to see empathy in Bree because sometimes she gives me Janelle vibes and Janelle's biggest issue is that, like, she doesn't have empathy. So it's good to see that come out in Bree. <laughs> Makes me feel good. Um... She says that Robert, like, didn't understand why he broke up with her at all. And she would say, like, I'm breaking up with you. And then he would put up no fight, as she called it. Which is kind of sad to me because, like, I think Brie only knows fighting. And Robert not fighting with her, like, upset her. Which is kind of yikes. Um, I think Brie just wants drama. So... Brayson's walking. He's doing well. Joy asks about finding the biological father. And Brie says that she wants Bray to, like, know that his dad reached out because he wanted to, not because she made him. And I think that's just an idealistic way to look at things. Jessica's wearing a terrible dress. Brie's in a prom dress. Vanessa doesn't even say anything. It's such a weird segment. And that's it. Lexi comes out. Kyler, Lexi, and Amber talk. They say that the reason Kyler's so shitty with Amber is because his mom was so shitty, and he projects a lot of that onto her. I did like that Kyler acknowledged that. Um, 
they ask if Lexi's the one for Kyler, and he's like, well, she's the one for right now, which was funny, but I also got what he meant, and Lexi seemed to, too. Basically, they're just young, and it's hard to say, like, that she's the one. Um, that's literally all that happened. I'm going to talk about Jade and then Kayla last because Kayla was the only one who had anything happen on hers. Kayla really, to me, carried this season. She was really the star of this season. So Jade is okay. She's doing well. Her and Sean are good. They're officially back together. And Sean has 200 days sober. Over 200 days sober. Now, Princess texted me and said, don't you think it's weird that he was being so vague? And I said... I don't think so, because I think a lot of our idea of how addicts and alcoholics talk about their sobriety comes from, like, AA and NA, like, 12-step programs, and 12-step programs are, like, really specific about dates, and especially, like, in months or years, like, past 90 days, you would talk about your months, like, Amber said, like, oh, I have almost seven months, because she goes to 12 steps, Butch said, oh, I have over a year, because he's in 12 steps, I think Sean doesn't go to meetings and, like, doesn't have his sobriety shaped, the language of his sobriety shaped by 12-step meetings. So I think for him to say, like, oh, you know, like, over 200 days, he probably has, like, an app on his phone that's counting in days. And, like, that's just how he frames his sobriety. And I think that it seems vague to us, but it probably doesn't seem vague to him, if that makes any sense. Uh, Christy is still homeless. She's gonna start a job when she gets back from New York. She says, but I'm always doing something. Uh, it was a mess. It was a mess. Christy also said she wasn't surprised Jade wasn't do- was doing drugs. Sean was doing drugs. She had brought it up with Jade, but Jade didn't want to hear it and she didn't want to push it. And I think that by May, Jade will be announcing another pregnancy. If she's not already pregnant. She did an Instagram live and had pregnancy tests in the background. <laughs> But I'd be very non-surprised if Jade and Sean have another baby together and have it together very soon. Okay, so Kayla, her hair looks really bad. It's way too blonde. She's wearing this two-piece Britney Spears circa 2000 outfit in purple that was not ugly necessarily, but not great for a sitted reunion because it was like a tiny little crop top and... She's not fat at all, but she had rolls because she was, like, sitting in a crop top. And it's just not a great seated, (laughs) seated, seated. Wow. Okay. Okay, Leah Messer. It was not a great seated look for her, in my opinion. So, Dr. Joy asks, oh, by the way, Jamie looked great. Queen Jamie always looks great, but she looked great here. Dr. Joy asks why Kayla didn't go through the PFA, and she said she was trying to think of her son we find out that Stefan hasn't seen Isaiah for over a month and kills at the point where she either wants him to be in his life or not be in his life. Uh, Jamie says that she's always been worried. She thought they were going to move past things after the apology at last year's reunion. And then things were good for like a month. And then he beat Kayla up. He came to the house, threatened to kill everybody at the house and spit at Jamie through her screen door, which is scary. <laughs> really scary. Um, Kayla is... Oh, Angela brings up that last year at the reunion, they talked about Luke and that Kayla was mad that they insinuated anything happened. And she's like, well, now I'm living with Luke. (laughs) Jamie says, so far, so good. I wish Jamie would have said, like, I'm a little worried. They're moving very fast. But she didn't because, you know, not everybody's perfect. (laughs) 
Um, Stefan comes out. He's so ugly. His mom comes out with him, which I thought was interesting because she was barely on the show. But I actually appreciated that MTV brought, like, flew her out there and let her be a part of this because I, even though Steven's really bad and a bad person, I do think it's good that he got to have, like, somebody on with him. You know, like, he got to have a person with him on. I don't think it'd be fair if he, like, had to come out by himself because he obviously, like, isn't part of the group anymore. So, Stefan says he's been going to therapy for a couple of weeks and that he needs to take this L. <laughs> uh, Stefan says he just gets so angry and he blacks out. Stefan's mom says that he's just, like, really jealous of Luke. Stefan says that's not the problem, but he's mad that, like, Kale is forcing a guy to be around his son. Um, and he, he's like, and oh, Kayla says, like, Stefan can have, first of all, Kayla says female all the time and it drives me up a fucking wall. She's like, Stefan can have him around a female, but that female has to respect me. And this female that he wants to have her around, have him around said that she was going to beat me when I was pregnant and cause me to have a miscarriage. That female can't be around my son. <laughs> Which, like, okay, understandable. I just hate the way that she says it. Um, Stefan says that she told him that she didn't want Isaiah around anybody, but she said that that's not true. So Kayla says that, oh, he's like, my mom hasn't even met him, but like, I don't think that's Kayla's fault. Like his mom lives in Florida. They don't have the money to travel to Florida. And the one time they went to Florida was shortly after he beat the shit out of her or they got, was that last, I guess that was last season. I don't remember, but they gotten into a huge fight and so they weren't going. Um, Kayla's like, the door's open. She can come whenever she wants to meet him. And Angela and Dr. Dre are like, how about he meets him, her here? And Kayla's like, I don't see why that should be on TV. I don't think that should be on TV. He's over a year old. But she was gonna meet, she was gonna bring Isaiah to meet her in Florida on TV. So I thought that was just Kayla being a little bitter. Um, Stefan says, that's fine. Stefan's mom's like, that's fine. I have five kids of my own. When he comes to me to ask why I didn't know him, I'm just gonna say... It's because you have two dummies as parents. <laughs> and Kayla flips out. She's like, don't call me a fucking dummy. I'm raising this kid all by myself. I go to school. I work. And I pay for everything. He doesn't do shit for me. Stefan's mom starts screaming back, take him to court. Take him to court. And Kayla's like, I don't have the fucking money to take him to court. I already took him to court. He has to pay child support. And he doesn't fucking pay it. Then Jamie and Kayla are screaming that he only has to pay $40 a month. I thought we saw that he was ordered to pay $120 a month and it was like $40 a week or something. I remember him talking about $40 a week. If it's only $40 a month, that's fucking crazy. Um, And that he doesn't pay it. So, like, why would she take him to court? They already went to court. I didn't really understand why his mom was screaming about taking him to court. I guess his mom doesn't watch the show. Uh, Stefan's like, well, I don't, I don't have a job, so, like, I can't pay, I'm, I have interviews, but, like, I don't have a job, I can't pay it, and I loved this. Kale said, this is a job. We make the same amount of money, and I was like, oh, yes, finally. I think that's the first time, like, ever on any of the shows that they've acknowledged that, like, they pay for themselves via the show, and that they make money from the show, and that the dads, like, have jobs, and, like, that he should be paying from it, and Stefan's like, just not good at managing my money and she's like you're wearing brand new sneakers he's like I didn't buy these <laughs> oh god it was so good 
Dr. Joy asks Stefan to apologize and he does some like weird apology. And then his mom is like, how many times does he have to get beat down? Why does he have to get beat down so much? Why is he beat down? Why does he have to keep apologizing? It's like, because your son's an abuser, (laughs) ma'am. I don't know. I just, Kayla, like, holding out. You know that Oprah gif where she, like, puts her arms out and is like, duh, and looks around? Like, that was Kayla being like, this is a job. Like, you literally, you and I have the same job. Now, Kayla's fucking hustling online and doing cameos and posting Instagram ads and clickbait stories. I don't think Stefan's doing any of that, so I'm sure she's making a significant more amount of money than him, but she is making money. And that's it. I'm sorry that I just rushed through the end of this. Please blame the wind and my brother's plane, and I have to go to Target and buy sheets. (laughs) This is like, hell hath no fury like my mom having company come, especially when one of them is a child and we have to childproof our whole house. Anyway, love you guys. I'm doing a 16 and pregnant next week. I'll update on my Instagram which one it is. I have a special guest coming on. I'm pretty sure it's going to be Jordan Cashmere from the last uh, season of 16 and pregnant, her episode, and then the, the where they now follow up is what I'm planning on watching. I'm not 100% sure though. I have to confirm with my guest. Uh, follow me on Instagram at EBP underscore feathers. Love you guys once again. Happy New Year's. Bye. This has been an episode of Feathers in My Hair, an Emotionally Broken Psycho's Patreon exclusive. Executive producers Molly McAleer and Liz Bentley. Produced by Nicole Matthews. Special thanks to Sarah DiGiovanna for our logo. Head on over to our Patreon page for more rewards. www.patreon.com slash ebpsychos. 